Tickets? Check. Popcorn and beverage? Check. It's showtime. Local talk that's moving the needle. From the iHub Radio Screening Room, this is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Flicks and Picks. Um, I hope you're all staying safe, um, washing your hands, stay at home unless you are an essential worker. And if you're an essential worker, hope that you are taking all the precautions necessary to be safe. And I hope that where you're working at is taking care of you. And if not, you know what to do. Speak up. But it's time to talk about some movies. And in this case, I decided, hey, you know, I've never seen either Contagion or Cobra Kai. Now, they're totally different series. Um, One of them is a series that is the continuation of the Karate Kid movies, which is a series that started back in 1984, starring Pat Morita and um, Ralph Macchio as a as a young boy who takes up karate to defeat his bullies or at least he perceives them to be his bullies and ultimately training with this older man who may or may not have the happiest backstory but is a very kind and very wise man that i think that if you actually watch those movies you would realize how wonderful pat morita is and he should have had a great career in hollywood but it's too bad that a lot of asian american actors unfortunately couldn't get that but it's great to see a movie like a series like cobra kai finally honoring that legacy so i'm going to talk about that and then in the later half of talking about cobra kai i'm going to talk about whether or not the karate kid movies hold up do any of them hold up anymore are they good what do I, how do I feel about them after watching Cobra Kai, which, spoiler alert, is a really good series. And I'm actually really enthusiastic about season three. But we'll hold on a bit on that. And then I'm going to talk about Contagion for the second half of the show. I finally decided, hey, I'm going to watch it. And I'm going to try to watch this and Outbreak and The Stand, which is a miniseries that involves a pandemic. <laughs> and so basically I'm going to take a look at each one of these pandemic films and or in the case of the stand half pandemic half apocalyptic a little bit scarier than you would imagine but i'm going to talk about these throughout the weeks and i'll try to give an honest review of each one do they hold up anymore does it matter if it's relevant because i will say one thing being realistic is it necessarily a a way to evade quality filmmaking. But we'll talk about that as we get to Contagion later on in the program. And then there's other movie news that I have to discuss, like um, movie delays, movie streaming, and the San Diego Comic-Con. I forgot to mention it. It got delayed, but there's some good news in that delay. Some good news. Not total, you're going to miss it, but hey, at least you won't lose money. That's my hint. All right, so let's talk about Cobra Kai. What is Cobra Kai about? As I said before, it is a sequel series that is on YouTube Premium. So if you go on YouTube, you will not be able to see the first cup, the whole season without getting a subscription. They do have a two-month trial, so I do recommend utilizing that two-month trial to watch Cobra Kai. And you might be saying, but what is Cobra Kai actually about, Brian? Come on, tell us. So Cobra Kai is set 34 34 years after the original Karate Kid film. 
it re-examines the storyline from that film from the point of view of Johnny Lawrence, who is the main villain, or at least one of the main villains in the original Karate Kid. He was the kid with the blonde hair that was the star pupil in Karate Kid and was the final, um, it was the kid in the final round in the tournament of that film. So he is the bully from that film's perspective. This is a story this is a story that is in this genre of what they call minor character el- elaboration, basically taking the perspective of a minor character from that story and elaborating on it or taking the villain or any character's perspective and seeing how they have grown or have changed since that moment in the story. It's actually a really interesting examination of how Johnny Lawrence viewed the Karate Kid movies, but it's not just that. It's about his decision to reopen the Karate uh, the <laughs> Cobra Kai Karate Dojo, which leads to the unfortunate rekindling of his old rivalry with Daniel LaRusso, who in his own life has opened up a dealership, a car dealership, and ha- and is happily married and has a successful life. And so we see sort of this dichotomy between Johnny Lawrence, who became an alcoholic and who has unfortunately lived in poverty from being, because he was previously a rich kid in the original Karate Kid, to seeing how his his dichotomy with Daniel LaRusso, who was a poor kid in the original Karate Kid, now being super wealthy and rich. So it's sort of like this opposite effect. One became a big success because of their win at the karate tournament in the original Karate Kid, while the other one, unfortunately, fell through the cracks. And so we see the story from from these two points of view. But also, but I think more specifically, it is from Johnny's point of view. So it's an interesting decision to paint not necessarily either one as a villain, but to paint both of them as complex men with their inability to overcome their past rivalry and how it affects their everyday lives. So, for example, Johnny Lawrence has a not so great relationship with his son that will eventually kind of bleed itself into this rivalry and the same goes with the fact that daniel larusso's daughter is incident is sort of has a begins a friendship with one of johnny lawrence's pupils that will bleed into this conflict it's it's interesting because the main conflict of the story at least seemingly at first is the the inability for these two men to get over what happened 34 years ago and how things stem from that. It's an interesting position that the series has placed itself into. And I actually really dig it. I think it's actually great to re-examine things from the past and to contextualize how your past, if you don't let go of it, will find its will influence things in your everyday life. And I think that this series is really intelligent at that. I think for me, what it does is that it doesn't, in my opinion, vilify either Daniel LaRusso or Johnny Lawrence, who are both played excellently by um, William Zapka and Ralph Macho, who are reprising their roles from the Karate Kid films. And also they are co-executive producers of the series. So it's interesting to see how they have not done the mistake of making their characters look good. 
they actually allow their characters to have their moments. You know, of course, they they have their moments of looking cool or as Johnny Lawrence says, badass. But they do go out of their way to show that these men have flaws, that Danny, Daniel LaRusso may be a little bit out of touch with poverty like he when he was a little kid uh, to the type of poverty that he experiences as a kid and johnny lawrence is a man who continuously makes mistakes and drinks a lot and doesn't really seek the help that he could make he's not politically correct and he's not great at actually talking to kids at first but it's great to see how these characters develop how daniel larusso can become a better man by being less focused on his success and more focused on um i would argue just having more balance in his life as his old sensei would say finding that balance in experiencing the wonders of karate and learning to be a be, continuing to be a successful car salesman and johnny lawrence has to eventually overcome his previous aggressive aggressive tendencies his teachings of no mercy to eventually learning the value that mercy may have on someone and how honor is very important. And I think that this series does a really good job at taking these characters and really developing them. I think this is the highlight. The highlight is certainly the the two characters and the rivalry. And I like the fact that they're able to give them moments where they're not constantly at each other's throats. That was my concern when I heard about the series. I, was, I thought, geez, I really don't want to see how these karate how these characters were will ultimately keep fighting each other. And, you know, of course they fight each other, but it, it's great that they do have moments where they sit there and look back retrospectively at how their actions affected each other. And the fact that they're able to understand that they both have similar, similar, like a lot more things in common than they thought. And I think that's actually really thoughtful television. And I think that it, it's no surprise that YouTube Premium, it, it, that this is the series that YouTube Premium became famous for, that this is their number one series and that this is the series that has elevated them up to being a legitimate streaming service. And I think that it's no secret. It's great television. I love it. And I think that if you have not given a chance, if you're a Karate Kid fan or if you only vaguely know the Karate Kid movies, you should give it a real chance. It's smart. It's it's led by two really great actors. I think the writing is exceptional and it always keeps you coming back to it. It's so great in, in its addictive quality. It's addictive television. I watched the show in two days. I could have watched it in one day. Um, each episode's only like 22 to 30 minutes. But boy, I wanted to come back. I love seeing these characters develop and grow. And I forgot to mention there is a lot of subplots in it that involve the teenagers that both of these guys eventually find themselves involved with in terms of training them or to mentor them. Their storylines are so great. And I love the fact that there are characters that just make trans that just transform very suddenly, but yet it fits, you know, that's how teenagers are. And I think that's great that, that there's a moment where one of the teenagers is a bit of a nerd and then he makes this transformation. I'm not going to spoil it. And it's, and it's great because that's how it was for me, how I transformed as a teenager, how I sort of bloomed into my own personality. And I also like the fact that the, the series doesn't vilify none of the teenagers intentionally that teenagers are allowed to make mistakes and it's okay for them to do so. And I like the fact that characters, when they make 
when they do bad things, they face the consequences that nobody's absolved of it, that no one could get away with it. I like that. And I, and I appreciate the fact that there are moments where the characters, just because they're the heroes, like Daniel LaRusso, for the most part in the movies, has been criticized as almost being Mary Sue-like. And I like the fact that he's actually, when he makes a mistake, that he can't fix it right away, that it takes a couple episodes to do so. It's a 20 episode series so far it's you're at two seasons so th- season three is apparently coming out in 2020 which i'm hoping it does i really want to see it and I, I was hoping that it would come out during the pandemic right now unfortunately so we can watch it at home but if you're stuck at home and you want to watch something that's going to take a good two days for you to watch cobra kai is a really great show i give the first season four stars and the second season four stars i love them and by the way their finales are some of the strongest finales i've seen for television they complete arcs they develop storylines for the next couple for the next season and i love their cliffhangers and i think what i like most about the finales is that they they just get you so so built up not just the finales but the episodes building up to the finale the finale right before you click next episode you're just so built up and you want to see how everything resolves and by the way congrats on the show for knowing how to do the next ofs because they don't put in the big moments in the next and the next ons you know the the previews for the next episodes really great television you really should check it out um i'm gonna still talk about cobra kai a little bit um i'm gonna talk about whether or not the karate kid films still hold up after watching cobra kai my experience of binge watching them in basically two days let's talk about that cobra kai gets four stars here on flicks and picks stay tuned Radio, reinventing talk radio in the Coachella Valley, homemade for the rest of us. From the iHub Radio screening room, this is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. Hey, welcome back. I just got done talking about Cobra Kai. If you missed that review, feel free to go on to to the iHub Radio website and listen to a previous segment of it. I really loved Cobra Kai and I honestly sat through that whole show and I just and I'm I'm just so mad that there isn't a season three yet because I want to consume it. It's so great. And luckily, you know, the fact is that there is plenty of Karate Kid movies for me to watch. Now, I did watch these movies before watching Cobra Kai and then I did had and then I thought about them afterwards. And I still think the first Karate Kid movie, which premiered in 1984, is a really great movie. And I think that parts of it still hold up really well. I think that even though the the series has kind of reevaluated certain actions of it, I still think it's a great coming of age story that has a very strong father son dynamic to it. And I think the best part of it is that is that relationship between Mr. Miyagi, who is played by Pat Morita, who got nominated for an Oscar in that movie, and his relationship with um, Daniel Larusso, played by Ralph Macchio. And how they train together and and bond through karate. But I also love the fact they just have a genuine friendship and they really get to know each other. I think one of the strongest scenes of it that's been talked about often enough are just the little moments they have together. Like when they talk about the lesson about balance, which, by the way, they bring up again in Cobra Kai. And it makes you want to cry your eyes out because of how good it's done in that particular episode. 
But I think another exceptional scene is the scene where Mr. Miyagi recall, talks about his past a little bit. And um, I won't spoil it too much because I don't know if people have never seen it. It happens. You know, I try not to be that person who spoils. But um, that scene where he's drunk and he talks about his past or what happened, that's a very strong scene. And I like the fact that we're allowed to see Mr. Miyagi as imperfect, which allows us to kind of take his wisdom a little bit more seriously. And it doesn't come across like, oh, well, this person's perfect. Of course, that this wisdom will never apply to me. And I like the fact that Karate Kid allows its lessons or the wisdom that Mr. Miyagi spouts out. It allows it to be not only given by a person who is not perfect, but is also received by a person who isn't perfect. Daniel LaRusso is not a perfect character. And I love the fact that even in the first movie, he's allowed to be angry and disappointed and frustrated. And the fact that at the end he matures and he becomes a better person. I love it. And even in the case of Johnny Lawrence in the first movie, the, the villain, you see why he may or may not be the most evil person in the world. Even looking back at it, it's like, yeah, Johnny Lawrence is, you know, he, he's not the, he doesn't always bully this kid. Sometimes the provocation comes from Daniel's point of view, but it's an interesting film that doesn't have a very, it does not have a black and white view of its heroes and villains. And I appreciate that. And I think that's actually the reason why it still lingers other than the fact that a lot of kids from the eighties can still relate to it. And I think even kids today can still relate to the lessons brought to it. So I definitely think Karate Kid's a great movie and I'm glad it's still brought up in the conversation. I think it still holds up really well. Karate Kid part two is a, is a good movie. It deals with uh, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel going to Japan and the sort of drama that stems from an old rivalry that, um, that Mr. Miyagi had with a man that was, because they were both in love with the same woman and the romance that um daniel larusso has with a japanese girl there too it i think it's a fine movie it's just that in my opinion the, the stronger bits are the opening scenes and i think that the ending scenes are pretty strong too some of the stuff in the middle just kind of comes across like a little too rushed at times like i felt that the romance was great for the was good for the most part but not as good as the romance in the first movie and i also don't think that the the bit about mr miyagi's rivalry with this man got resolved in a way that i was fully satisfied with and i do think that the film could have definitely utilized the 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 preachiness of the first movie because the first movie did preach a lot about nonviolence being important and i think in this film you don't need the big fight scene at the end even though i do think it's well made and all that that's i guess that's what i meant by saying that the ending was good but i think that the in in theory the film's principles don't really hold up all that well in hindsight and but i think it's still a better sequel than karate kid part three which i think is a blatantly bad movie i think that the only thing that saves it is the fact that there is this over-the-top flamboyant villain in this film he is um i I guess his character's name is terry silver uh played by thomas ian griffin he is so over the top it's goofy it's it's actually hilarious i i think that if you're going to see that movie you should watch it for that performance and then kind of riff it you know it's it's one of those movies that's just so there's nothing remarkable about it. It's a copy of the first movie and it just doesn't stick to landing. And then the fourth movie, the next karate kid, which is the last one I saw. I didn't see the remake, 
but I, I did enjoy parts of the remake. I think it's an okay movie. But the next Karate Kid, I do think it's overhated. I think people do hate it too much. I think it's I think at times it's better than Karate Kid Part 3, but there are times that Karate Kid Part 3 is better than the next Karate Kid. So they're both movies are just bad on different levels. I think Next Karate Kid just doesn't fully develop its characters, and I think Karate Kid Part 3 is a ripoff. So I appreciate that both films um are not badly made like other bad movies are but they're just not exceptional so if you're gonna watch some karate kid movies before watching cobra kai i do recommend watching all four because it does give you a bigger context but i think if you're gonna skip any part three and next karate kid would be good skips but next karate kid can have some moments and hillary swank does give a good performance stay tuned we're gonna talk about the movie contagion here on flicks and picks Live from the Coachella Valley. He calls it as he sees it. This is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza on iHub Radio. A pandemic has started with a very mysterious disease killing off a lot of people and spreading really quickly in the movie Contagion. And the CDC and various doctors and even people have to battle the race for time, have to survive basically so they can to eventually get to a vaccine to be able to prevent the spread of this disease it sounds a little familiar maybe that's why people want to actually watch this movie now now this movie was a success when it came out from my understanding but the crazy thing about it is that contagion is a movie that a lot of people have been watching and you know you kind of tell people to not you know don't don't watch things that are going to spook you. You know, it's it's just not a good idea. So I'm going to say this. If you're somebody that does not want to see this, because it does have its moments of really strong realism, I do not recommend this to someone who is already afraid, super afraid to go out. Like if you're somebody who has, if you're somebody who is so afraid and that you are literally, that this will make, that you feel like this type of movie will get you more scared rather than, the other reaction, which could be, huh, that's relatable. You know, there, there are two reactions to this movie. People who can watch it to be even more um, afraid or people who will who will watch it and say, okay, this film does do a really good job at being realistic, at least in its first hour. So I definitely think that this is a movie that you should not watch if you are super afraid but maybe conquer maybe this way could work if you want to conquer that fear to be able to kind of relax a little bit so you don't i guess you don't freak out too much because there are glimmers of hope in this film but there are also some major flaws that this film has that i think prevent it from being like a four-star movie in my opinion but we'll talk about that i think that in many ways contagion is a movie that relies a lot on its realism that at times that that it doesn't really seem to really go into its actual storylines. You have multiple storylines in this in this um, film. It's what they call a multi-narrative hyperlink cinema. Basically, everything is linked together. It's super fast. You go to different storylines, go to different things. And I think that there's a lot of storylines here that, that I personally think are... I think there's a lot of storylines here that 
work really effectively. I think the CDC storylines are great. And I think that the storyline with Kate Winslet is actually really strong. Um, I do actually like the storyline that Matt, Matt Damon has in this film as a, as a man who is, uh, who is immune to the disease and it deals with his struggles because if people forget that even people who are immune to diseases mysteriously are immune, that they, um, that they do have a rough too to some extent, that they have to not only make sure they aren't silent carriers and that they don't actually pass it over to like a person that they love, but it's also something along the lines of the fact that other storylines in this film are just as thoughtful about that. The fact that doctors in the CDC like the Kate Winslet character, that they can sometimes be putting themselves in even more danger than the average citizen. That I think the film is also really good at showing how realistic people panic and how how un how people can sometimes not be bad, but they can have flaws. That even people at the CDC or even the World Health Organization or just doctors in general, that they're not perfect people. And sometimes, you know, they have loved ones too that they want to prioritize. And that sometimes it's, and sometimes it happens, you know, if I worked at the CDC and I found the cure for something, I don't know, would I really, would I, would I not inform my family first that it exists before everyone else, even though, of course, I will share with the rest of the world, it kind of leaves you with these moral questions in the first half. And I also think that it's really great at how it just deals with how pandemics slowly grow, how from day one to um, day 145, how things escalate rapidly. I like the fact that even by day 15, things have really gotten crazy. And it makes you really think about how far uh, like a day 144 is and how much how it feels like a really long time but in reality it's not even it's not even close to being it's a little bit close but not too far from being half a year which I think this movie is a real is really good at depicting those types of realistic ideas. I think its first hour is really well constructed and exciting and it moves really fast and you just have a really good time watching it. But I got to say that the virus depicted in this movie, I think that the film not only doesn't I don't think the film really explains fully the virus. And I don't think that the film allows the audience to really grasp how the virus can be prevented through a vaccine. I think that the film almost makes the virus seem too strong, not necessarily for a vaccine, but for a vaccine to be developed that quickly. And I think that there's also this sort of viewpoint that the film doesn't really stop and think about its implications with how strong they try to make the vac- the virus. They have, to, And I think that if they had used a real virus, maybe maybe it would make more sense. I wish they would use a real virus. I think that there would be lots of viruses out there that don't have vaccines or are currently in development for vaccines. I wish that they would have thought about that because then they can look realistically into how how, how to prevent, how, how to create a situation where um, it takes a really long time for them to develop a vaccine within the film. And I think that by making up a virus that's so strong, it almost makes the development of the vaccine seem a little rushed. And I don't know if I can really, in my opinion, I don't know 
if I can really buy into some of the stuff featured in this film. I think that there's a lot of things that the film rushes towards the end. I think it wants to really rush rush its way through because it's already showing how fast a um, pandemic can happen. But, but then it doesn't really, in my opinion, show us how how vac- va- the creation of vaccines can sometimes take a really long time in human trials and all that. But I don't know. I think this film, for the most part, is emotionally gripping and strong. But it's those moments that really get you thinking and it makes you realize that this film is not the prophesizing movie that people are making it out to be. I mean, at times, it yes, it did use terms like social distancing before everyone else started using the terms. But those are terms that people have been using even during the Spanish flu pandemic. So there's a lot of things in this film that are pretty com- were pretty common knowledge to some extent in the medical community during when this film came out. I think that this is a very fascinating movie and I think it's great that it's realistic in its first hour, but I think that second hour that sec that second half or at least this the last 45 minutes of it are just not as strong as that first hour and it's it's a shame. I also think that the film also doesn't really develop a lot of storylines all that well. There's a storyline that involves the Marion Cotillard character going to um, China. And that whole storyline, what was that? You know, it just makes me question how, how I, I just don't understand. Like that, that entire question, that entire uh, storyline and the, the questions it wants to raise and everything it just it just isn't it's not great and uh, it's just one of those things where you know it's it it doesn't really follow, follow through with it and i think that there's also not enough for me to think that this is a story that um this is not a storyline that in my opinion really went anywhere and I think that at the end it kind of leaves you a little hanging and this is one of the few storylines that I wish that the film had given a more solid conclusion to I yes I do understand that the um film isn't trying to be sensational and it's not it's not at all and I think that's a really strong thing it's not sensational it does not have a it does not want to do this thing where um you go in there and everything gets saved. The world is saved. Isn't it wonderful? It doesn't try to do that at all. But I think that that um, it's it's one of those things that it, it it's one of those things where the the film doesn't give you the solid conclusions for this storyline, and I think that's a weakness, especially considering how out of bound it is. It, it also creates this sort of idea that you know that that Asian people you know, that Asian people would hide the, that that it creates a sort of idea that Asian people are bad, you know, and I don't really like that sort of narrative. And I think that the film never fully develops these Asian characters that are in China. And I think it's kind of questionable how the film has a, a very, very um good cast of characters with complex ideas and motives and even the characters who make mistakes like the director of the cdc and the conspiracy theorists and that horrible people it's just one of those things where 
it's just one of those things where the the situation this china storyline is just it's just not great it's just not a great storyline it, it doesn't really it makes it just makes it look all that worse it, it, it honestly ages really badly and i and i really feel like during this time right now that it's not great to to present this sort of narrative and i think it pushes certain ideas that i'm not really comfortable with and i think that the the film doesn't fully and even at the end when they try to paint that those characters have no some sort of nobility and that the world health organization itself is problematic and trust me every single organization in the world has its problems but i think that the film doesn't do an adequate job expanding on how the world health organization can be complexly depicted you can depict it, the positive elements and the negative elements well enough it doesn't have to be a balance perfect but you don't have to go out of your way to paint with broad strokes and i think the film for the most part does a really good job with that but not during the china storyline and their relationship with the world health organization i don't think that that's perfect um i also think that the conspiracy theorists played by jude law that storyline useless i think that that storyline didn't have any real effect and i also think that it had it had an interesting idea but the filmmakers just i don't know what the filmmakers were thinking that it's just not great it doesn't look great and i also think that the film doesn't really give us an answer to that um and i think it leaves things living it leaves things looking a little weird it, it's sort of like the film wants you to believe that he may or may not be telling the truth but i'm not sure it's one of those things where it's just not it's just not a great storyline. I think it doesn't really fit. It's almost cartoony compared to the rest of the story, but it is what it is. But otherwise, I think I really did enjoy Contagion. I would say it's a three and a half star. Well, no, actually, I would say it's a three star movie because the first hour, the first hour is definitely a four star movie, but the second hour definitely is a the the, the last forty five minutes. My apologies, is definitely a two and a half star movie. So, if I'm going to round it up a little bit, I guess. It's just three stars. It gets three stars for me. It's if you're curious, go watch it. Um, I am gonna see Outbreak next week, and I'm gonna see a couple movies that deal with the pandemic, pandemics. Um, even in the case of The Stand by Stephen King, I'm reading the book right now, so I should review that soon. So, my first exposure to pandemic cinema. It's it has a, it's a great start, but it just doesn't really stick to landing, and I think a lot of it just doesn't. And a lot of it is problematic and doesn't age really well. And it happens, you know, films from 2011 are not going to have sensibilities of today. But I think it's a detriment to it. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about San Diego Comic-Con and other movie news. Stay tuned. When you want to know what happened and why and what's next in the Coachella Valley, come here. iHub Radio the local news talk authority. This is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Now here's Brian Mendoza. Hey, before we get too far into talking about San Diego Comic-Con, which will be the last story of the evening, I do want to say that for those of you who are curious, these are the following movies that have been delayed. So, 
In the Heights, which is the anticipated film adaptation of the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical, has been pushed back to next year, June 2021. Now, I kind of figured that this was going to be the case because I feel like they were trying to aim for a summer audience. And I wasn't sure if they were going to try to aim for the Oscars this year. I think that the last half of this year would just be so difficult to kind of put that film in there. Not only is it Oscar season, but I think people are going to be a little reluctant about going to see a event picture at that time. So people who are going to go to the the movies are probably going to be people who are probably just cinephiles who want to go out and watch like a really good movie and not necessarily a movie that people are going to. uh, I think that the social distancing is going to also be a preventionist for the success of In the Heights. And also there are various factors like the failure of cats and various things like that kind of lead into this idea that maybe another year would be better financially, but also from a critical standpoint. I mean, it's a musical that's really popular and they're hoping for some Oscars, but if anything, they'll probably want it to be a financial success. So good, good idea. Good idea. Um, There's also been other delays in other movies. In the case of Warner Brothers, they have decided to delay a couple of their DCEU movies the Batman and various um, Batman, Aquaman, and in the case of um, Shazam 2, they are going to be released as well later on. It's it's kind of, an, it, they're going to release um, the Batman a little bit further down in 2021. And I think it's going to be actually released in the fall. Let me just confirm it real quick. It's one of those things where there's been a lot of contradictions about the time frame for it. Um, Wonder Woman 1984 will be August 14th still. They're still not sure about it. And they've privately talked to... Apparently, there's apparently reports, allegedly reports, that say that they are privately talking about releasing it on streaming, or at least that they had, but they're sticking to the theatrical model, which is fine. You know, I think it's... I think Wonder Woman 1984 would be a good first movie for people to kind of test the waters and go out and see if they'll watch it. But, of course, social distancing will still be a thing that might lose some ticket seats. Um, the Suicide Squad is still slated for August 6, 2021. The Batman was pushed to October 1st, 2021. Um, Black Adam, December 22nd, 2021. They haven't started filming yet, so that might get pushed back a little bit more. Shazam 2, November 4th, 2022. The Flash, June 3rd, 2022. And Aquaman 2, another 2022 release, December 16th. Huh. I think it's pretty cool that they have three movies coming out, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how they'll do. I'm curious. All right. So Scoob, which was going to be coming out this month, is actually going to be finally, it will actually come out on May um, 15th. It's It was supposed to hit theaters, but unfortunately it's not going to. So it's going to be available for rent um, on a premium video on demand site. It's going to probably be available for it's going to be available for 19.99 or if you wanted to purchase it you can purchase it for 24.99 might as well just purchase it extra 5 bucks But in the case of Scoob this is not at all a difficult thing to have predicted It makes sense Scoob for the most part is an animated movie based on the Scooby Doo films and the reception for it wasn't super big like I mean people were kind of okay with it and They'll take their kids to go see it. But I think they saw what happened with Trolls and they thought, hey, you know, if Trolls or Trolls World Tour did so well on streaming, maybe we should do it for Scoob. I don't think movie theaters will be opening up anytime soon. And 
I think they also didn't know where to put Scoob in the schedule. I think that Scoob is a difficult film for them to decide where it's going to go. It, it was going to be a movie that would have been a good May movie, but I think that they saw that next year would be a little bit too, um, as they would say, a little bit too crowded because of all the movies that are being pushed back. And I think that they're trying to prioritize certain films for next year that Scoob, well, I think Scoob is going to be a case where they're just, they just want to be safe and release it on streaming. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't work, well, it doesn't work. And unfortunately there's a couple of states that are opening up again. So, Hey, it might even be in some theaters over in Georgia and various other states that are opening up. I'm not going to say what I think about that situation, but I hope that again, that if that I'm hoping that we can open up maybe at, uh, realistically hopefully by august but i don't know I'm, I'm i'm hoping for the best but you know i think that we're we're pretty good so far here in california but hey let me know what how you're how you're handling our movie theater still playing at your state feel free to email me you can find my email on my show page on the um iHub Radio website. Feel free to email me. Tell me your experience with movie theaters if you are still going to the movie theaters in one of the states that have not issued a shelter in place. I am curious to hear. And I will and if I and I may ask you if I can read your email out loud just because I would love to hear your experiences, you know. Are things just being normal or are you guys doing social distancing? Let me know. You know, it might be actually a hint as to the future of what's going on here in California. But Again, May 15th, Scoob's going to be there. I'm going to review it a couple of days afterwards, but I'm I'm very interested to see if this will be as big of a success as Trolls World Tour. I don't know. I'm, it might be. You never know. I was, a, I was surprised by Trolls World Tour. But San Diego Comic-Con. So it was delayed. You might have heard this on other shows. And unfortunately, since I'm pre-recording some of my episodes a little early, I didn't get to report it. It was literally reported right after I recorded and I'm like, Oh darn, can't <laughs> what an unfortunate situation. So they are trying to come back for 2021. This is the first time in 50 years that they've ever delayed. So it's a big deal. And for those of you who don't know the comic con, uh, the San Diego comic con convention is basically this multi genre entertainment and comic book convention that is held every year in San Diego. And they bring about movies, uh, comics, um, TV shows, they all do presentations there and it's fun and it's one of going to be one of those, it's always something that people love going to every year and trust me, us in the move in the movie criticism world, we really, really want to watch, we really watch, we're really watching this to be honest. We're really paying attention, we always pay attention every year to it because movie trailers come out and movie news gets put out. So, you do have an option of getting a 2021 badge so instead of a 2020 badge you can refund it or get it refunded or hey have it put towards a voucher for a 2021 badge which i think is great i think that's a great opportunity but apparently cam soda which is an adult entertainment streaming service is offering to let san diego comic-con stream on its platform it can do it but is but is it too late for san diego comic-con to plan something out um it may be a little bit too late. It is. Um, it was going to be coming out later on this month, this um, summer, but it may or may not, may or may not happen. We'll see. They have gotten offers for streams, but we'll have to see. 
Again, thank you for listening to Flicks and Picks. I'm your host, Brian Mendoza. Go watch Cobra Kai, or if you're curious, go watch Contagion. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, wash your hands, and keep six feet apart. Stay home. <laughs>